Hi, this is Kenny Albert. You're listening to the Broadway Hat Podcast with your host, Kyle Hall, the number one podcast for all things Rangers hockey. Welcome back to the Broadway Hat Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Hall. Some big news at the NHL this week. It looks like we finally have a date for training camp to start. January 3rd is our post-slated date, with the season starting around January 13th. The Rangers have also opened up their training facility this week for some informal skating, and they have already about 15 to 20 players that are already on the ice. The NHL rumor mill is also now in full effect, with the Rangers rumored to be a possible destination for both Zdeno Chara and Max Pacioretty. Chara would fill a need for a left-hand defenseman, but it would be interesting to see the Rangers go with a 43-year-old veteran over some of the younger players they have in the organization right now. This week, we're joined by former New York Ranger Daniel Lacroix. Dan shares some great stories from the 94 Cup season, his experience playing for Mike Keenan, and his time as an assistant coach on the Rangers during their run to the Cup Finals in 2014. Let's send it over to an interview with Dan. Today we are joined by former Ranger draft pick, player, and coach, uh, Daniel Lacroix. How are you today? Very good. How are you? Good, good. Good. So, uh, so now you're down beautiful. We just talked offline. You're down beautiful Tampa. Now you're taking a break from your uh, Quebec team. Yep, it's a little bit of a change in, in weather, obviously coming from uh, northeast to uh, to the south. But it's been uh, it's been a good little. Uh, I've only been here a few days now, but it's a good change. Just to be, especially in December. <laughs> So, uh, actually, jumping back to your Quebec playing days. So, you played three years uh, up in the Quebec Junior League. You put up some crazy numbers up there, not only for penalty minutes, but for points. Yeah, the uh, you know, I was fortunate. I, I, I broke into the league in, in 86, 87, and uh, with a real good team. Like, we had the best team in, in the uh, country at the time, and the players that, you know, a lot of people would remember uh, – Pierre Turgeon was our, uh, our, our captain, uh, Eric Desjardins. Uh, we're all the same age group, so we're pretty young, young group, but still, like, I think the best team in, in Canada. So that, that was my start with uh, the Grand Bee Bisons, and uh, I seem to improve every year. We, I had the same coach. I was fortunate to have the same coach. And, and by my, my, uh, my third year there as a 19-year-old, I, I ended up, you know, scoring over 40 goals, but I, if if somebody with the opportunities that I had at, at better hands, he would have scored 60. I'm just, that's the honest <laughs> truth. Like I, I put myself in a lot of good situations, score goals around the net and uh, I'm fortunate to get a, quite a few in. Now talking about the young, co- you know, your coaching when you were younger, did they encourage, so you had 311 penalty minutes your first year and yeah. then you jumped up to 466 your second year. <laughs> So is that something that you really focused on when you came into the league, or is that something you more developed as you went along? I think I was just an angry kid a little bit, and I wanted to make a place uh, for myself. And, and I jumped I jumped with a, a really good team that had a lot of skills, and, and I you know, found that for me to contribute was to play a physical game every night. So when you're, I know in that era, when you're uh, you're out there banging every night, then, then uh, people will, will come knocking and, and I didn't back down. And uh, for me, it was a way to get, you know, to get noticed and, and be a solid contributor to my team. And, and the penalty minutes uh, piled up. I, I, I don't think 
you know, the 460, they, I, I believe my second year, the, the referees were getting a lot of 10 minute penalties at, at the end of games just to get guys out of, out of the, uh, out of the game. If, if it got nasty a little bit. So that might explain the, a lot of those minutes. Now the Rangers did take notice. They took you 31st overall in 1987. So what was that like back then? Cause there was no, was there a draft or was that more of like you found out via phone call? No, there was, there was a draft. Like I'm, I'm, uh, it's, yeah, you're right. It's, it's a little while back, but, uh, the draft has been, uh, going on for a while, but for you young guys out there, like, uh, 1987, the draft was in uh, Detroit and, and, uh, but the format was different. If, if you're a 17 year or an 18 year old, uh, you can only uh, get drafted in the three first rounds. So it was limited to, uh, to three rounds uh, at that time. So, I was rated, I think, at the end of the fourth round or fifth round. So I, I, I went there with my agent, and I didn't take uh, any of my family with me. I, I, I had had a couple interviews with uh, different teams, and the Rangers being one of them. So I knew there was interest, but because of the three-round, uh, it was a uh, really a gamble to see if I'd be uh, drafted or not. So I ended up going there with my agent. We did took a bus from Montreal and, and went to Detroit. And I was walking around the concourse, not really expecting anything, especially in the second round. And, and when I heard my name being called, I was the, I believe I was the happiest kid there. Um, so from there, uh, you went to the uh, Binghamton Rangers, which was your first step up into uh, to the AHL level. Now you played on some really good Binghamton teams. I feel like they were really dominant in the early 90s. Uh, you were on the 92-93 team, which had, the most points in the AHL history. I think that still actually stands today. And you played with a guy named Don Biggs while you were there. Yeah. So he had, uh, so he had 138 points in one season, uh, which still stands today. Why the guy like that? When you look at his career stats, why do you think a guy like that never got a real shot in the NHL? Well, I for a couple of reasons. I, I think uh, like I was fortunate that, again, like with the Rangers. It, I think my first year was actually in, in the IHL. Our team was in Flint, Michigan. Then we moved to Binghamton, and uh, it, we always lined up some really strong teams. And, and I think the Ranger philosophy was the same with with the, their NHL team. Was they traded uh, for older players oftentimes, and you know they had key young pieces that they were building the team around with uh, you know Mike Richter and Brian Leach, and then you would add on some really uh, great complimentary established guys in the league. And that was their philosophy on top. And, and same with in the minors. Like I got to Binghamton, my second year pro, and they had three left wingers that were over 29 or 30 years old. And I was a young left winger coming with the team. And I'm saying to myself, like, I'm never going to get a shot. They had Joe Patterson, Bob Bodak, Russ Fitzpatrick. We're all established HL guys. And uh, I might be missing one too. So you have to buy your time. Like they didn't give you an opportunity. You have to earn it. And and for me, I think I, I had signed a lot of different contracts and, and it took it took a while. But once I was uh, played regular with the Binghamton Rangers and, and I was surrounded by really good players and, and, and the player like Biggs was uh, certainly one of the better uh, American League players. And I think some of those guys, like I look at Don Biggs and I look at Sean Van Allen, they're, they're two players. He was playing in Cape Breton and they were both top of the league in scoring. Uh, but some, some players choose to, uh, you know, make a sacrifice and say, okay, what do I need to do to play at the next level? 
and um, and like a Sean Van Allen ended up playing a defensive role in the NHL, and Don Biggs never really got a shot on the two uh, top two uh, lines in the NHL, so he ended up being a, a career minor leaguer, but an excellent one at that. So while you were down there, you talk about the young talent the Rangers had, including yourself. So you had, uh, you know, uh, Alexei Kovalov came over, uh, Zubov came over. Those were their first introduction to the American style yeah. hockey. So what was it like seeing those guys first come over and, uh, you know, kind of take the American ice and, and see how what they can do? Well, everything was so new. Like now we get, you know, Russians come in and, and we have some with, with our junior teams uh, every year. Europeans will come in and, and they're they're so well versed on the North American style of hockey and and on on the leagues and even even the the, the language. But I'm saying back then, it's really a, a time when players would come in and everything was new. So the way we were doing things was really new. There wasn't as much uh, communication between the different uh, countries and and really about uh, style of coaching and, and things of that nature. So these two. In. And I remember just the sh- uh, great skills and and uh, the talent level was was really high on both of them. Um, I remember it was probably easier for Zubov to get uh, comfortable with our group, like because of his uh, his good nature. Uh, Kovalev, uh, Alexi took a little bit longer, but uh, he, and he did his own thing. Like he just wanted to play and wanted him to puck, and he would stay on the ice for two, three minutes. Coaches would get upset at him. <laughs> he didn't care much. I, I think uh, that was a challenge with him. But you uh, continue that in NHL too. Yeah, I, I, I know, I know, and I remember the stories. You know, yeah. yeah, that that was a, an a habit that a lot of coaches try to break. But but they were both unbelievable players for us. So. It was nice to see them uh, start their career. And, and we took a part in that, like all the leaders and the, the older players with the Rangers in Binghamton. I took these guys under their wings a little bit. And, you know, with, I remember guys taking Kovalev fishing. Uh, Kovalev or Zubov really liked to fish, came out, and then another guy would, you know, take him out to lunch and to dinner and make sure that these guys were, uh, you know, at, at a family atmosphere uh, when they came over. So talking about Mike Keen a little bit, um, how many, so when you came in, you actually started the year off with the Rangers in 93. You actually broke the opening night roster. Yeah. What was that training camp like going into that year? Uh, obviously, you know, the, the whole myth or the story that Keenan showed the Mets parade, you know, they won a training camp and said this is the goal of the season. But how was that camp different than the previous camps you were in or just any coaching you saw before? Yeah, the, the focus, I, I, you know, that was my seventh NHL camp at that time, and I had never uh, never got a, an exhibition game in a, in a out of training camp. So six straight years going to camp and being cut and sent sent back either the junior team or uh, five times to my uh, to my American League team, and and then um, I end up getting you know, getting a shot, playing exhibition games and playing a bunch of them. And that's when we used to play between nine and 11 games. So you need a lot of bodies. And uh, I thought I had a real good camp. I had a real good summer of training. And, and uh, I just remember that group being so focused. I remember, you know, from the start of the journey, and, and that's what Keenan called it, like we're getting on a journey. And uh it was super, super focused with Mess and Kevin Lowe leading the way, and, and uh, it's it's no surprise that uh, they ended up winning the, 
the cup that year. So you played a couple of years, obviously, with the Rangers, and you play with Mark Messier. What are you know you hear about his leadership skills? You know, how do you how do the people in the locker room like look to him? Like, does he a, a loud guy in the locker room? Is he kind of a lead by example kind of a guy, or is it all of the above? Yeah, no, he he, he would pick his spots. Like, uh, Mess was pretty, uh, you know, and I don't have the most experience. I played I played with him, a little, you know, a little bit, but my my, my recollection and, and what I remember is just just the moment like he, he was all about the timing and all about moment and and uh mess would play a certain way before christmas when we played uh you know if we played hartford or if we played uh, calgary or, or you know something that might be not a game that you, you really get up for uh he, but then when he needed to get up for things he did and and that's what i remember of him like he would pick his spots uh, and we had enough leadership in, the, in that room for him not to be their guy every night and uh and i just remember i I thought the combination of of him uh you know saying things in the room but also uh following it up with actions on the ice and that's been well documented but he had the ability the ability to to do that and the ability to to really pick his spots uh and 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 be patient and analyze situation and and you know mess was was that good a leader because he had a really good leadership a group around him uh, that started with, I, I think that, you know, first and foremost, I, I, it was uh, Kevin Lowe behind. Like he, Mess would say something, but Kevin, Kevin really was always in his ear and, and, and would always reinforce uh, within the room. And you came back up for a few more games later on in the year. And actually before, or I guess after you played uh, in those games, the Rangers kind of, had a new look going into the postseason too. Were you surprised by the amount of moves they made, especially getting rid of a player like Mike Gardner, who was, I mean, at the time was the top player in the NHL. And uh, was, I think he was just the all-star MVP the year before. Um, so, I mean, that was a pretty big move and a bold move that Neil Smith made before. the. Well, I, I remember, like, I, I went down to the minors and in Binghamton, I, I broke my uh, collarbone. So I was out for eight weeks and my sternum, I actually broke my sternum and, and collarbone. So it was a major injury and I was out for a long period of time. So, um, I remember following the team and, and, and watching a lot of games. And, um, I knew there were talks about them, you know, uh, making some moves and, and, uh, they, they went out. I, I remember getting called up and, and, uh, at trade deadline the team was in Calgary and, and, you know, we had a rookie meal that night and, and a lot of guys, the the atmosphere was really tense. And, and I remember, I, I believe Tony Monty or somebody didn't show up for the, the meal. And, and you know, there were talks already that some of the guys would get, might get uh, traded. So it's not surprising. Like I, I think when you go for it, you, you seize your opportunity. And I thought, you know, probably uh, Keenan and, and uh, Neil Smith thought that was obviously their their one big opportunity, and they went for it. And then following the season, um, you get dealt to Boston. So what was that kind of emotion like? Because really, that was the first time in a few years you were switching up to a, a new organization, or first time ever you were switching to a new organization. Yeah. So what was that kind of like? Uh, that it was good. Like, for me, it was good because I, I remember Coley came, gave me a call. Coley, you know, Keenan left. Coley came in, and uh, he had coached us in Binghamton, that really good team that we had that year. A couple of years prior, and he was uh, he was assistant in New York, and they he ended up coming down. And Ron Smith went up with the Rangers to finish the season, and uh, so I had a good relationship with uh, with Colin Campbell, and 
And I remember him calling me, just saying, you know what, Dan, like I look at our lineup, I think you're an NHL player and I don't see you uh, playing regular with us. So I think uh, we're giving you an opportunity to go to a team that's looking and would like to have you. So uh, kind of do, doing me a favor and, and getting a defenseman in return and then Featherstone. So um, it worked out for both parties, and, and but that was a lockout year. So I ended up showing up in, in, uh, in Boston and had a real, real good camp. And then when I'm ready to go and play my first full NHL season after making a team, uh, we didn't play any hockey, so I asked to go down to the American League because I had a young family, and and uh, they they uh, they sent me down. And, and sure enough, uh, you know, we played about twenty games, and next thing I know, I'm I'm back with the Rangers. So it was a it was a, a long season with a lot of twists and turns. So you play one more year with the Rangers, and then you moved on to uh, our rival, the Philadelphia Flyers. And I actually still remember. Uh, I think it was like a Sunday or Saturday game on Fox and you beat up Jeff Bukaboom on the blue line. And I was like, Oh man, this is not good. <laughs> Everything was in like the first five minutes. They gave me real. So it was a real tone setter. And I was like, man, like, this is not good. Yeah. I remember, I, I remember uh, Book taking a two minute penalty and then gave me a shot a little bit. I'm like, uh, you, Book, you want to go? Like I'm at home. let uh, let him get away with it, and uh, if I can take Bukaboom, I think in the trade off, I think our my coach is pretty happy. So with the Flyers, you played on the uh, you know the famous uh, Legion of Doom teams with uh, Lindros and Leclaire. So what was it like playing with those guys in the locker room and uh, and Lindros as a leader? Um, what was it like playing with him? Well, it was quite a change from from the veteran team that we had in, in, with the Rangers and, and the confidence that the Rangers. Uh, dressing room had and, and you know uh, you, you go to uh, another really good NHL team but with a different type of of, uh, of group and, and leadership and great in their own right like it was it was a, a really fun to see uh, Lindros and Leclerc and Renberg like really run run the, at night in night out they're the best line out there and uh, quite something to see and, and, and to be part of it and I was lucky enough that first year we had a good run. We unfortunately lost to Detroit in the finals, but um, it was a, it was a, our, our division was real tight. And uh, I remember Lindros really looking up to mess. I remember him, uh, you know, like asking Dan anything, you know, he would go out for dinner and he'd ask a lot of questions on how mess did thing. Obviously they, they were, I don't know if they were close, but I know they were friends and they had played uh, on some, uh, kind of team together and um but it was just a, 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 a leadership in progress when i got to uh philly as opposed to new york which, which was really established so you're saying you, you guys lost the final to detroit yeah. that year now you did beat the rangers in the conference yeah. finals uh that was uh the gretzky first year so what was uh i guess you guys really dominated the rangers that series too one four to one what was something you guys did that really shut the rangers down that um, you know, cause they were rolling pretty good going to the postseason. Yeah. I can't remember. Is that in this, uh, second round? They had just beat Jersey, I believe. Right. That was the, the conference finals. Yeah. yeah that was, uh, you, you know what? It, we were rolling. Like we were, um, I, I don't remember much about the range. I remember that they had played really well and they had surprised cause I thought the best team, that could give us a run for our money on our side in the Eastern uh, Conference was uh, New Jersey. 
and because every time we played him was was a much harder game to play than any other opponents uh, on in the East. And uh, I think the Rangers took care of him, if I remember correctly. And um, it, I, I remember our, our series against against the uh, the Rangers for some reason. I think we got a tired team. I don't know if they were. Uh, beat up a little bit from from their previous uh, rounds but uh, we were just rolling like we we went through i believe either buffalo and, and new york or pittsburgh and new york that year and, and we weren't uh, we were still in pretty good shape like we had not faced uh, great great adversity like we we were all held so going to the finals um the legion of doom lang was like you were saying that you guys were rolling and then all of a sudden you hit Detroit and they got completely shut down by uh, by the Detroit defense. Was there anything in the locker room talk like, you know, like what can we do to kind of get around, you know, to figure this out? Yeah. Or, you know, what strategy was Detroit using that really just baffled you guys? Well, if I go back, it's, um, you know, Detroit was the best team we had, we had faced and it was their style was totally different. And their style would be different from one line to the next. And, and you know, they put the five Russians on the ice and, and really control the puck with puck possession. And then they, they would hit you with, uh, you know, their third, fourth line would, would just grind the, grind you really, really hard. <laughs> and and, and uh, they, were, they were defending uh, as well as any team uh, that we had played up to that point. So... Obviously, they didn't win by accident. I, I thought our first couple games were probably the best games that could have gone either way. And uh, once that was done, we were—I uh, I, we never recovered. We were rattled and uh, didn't get our bearings back. Like I think, I think that's where the lack of experience and and uh, of playoff deep playoff experience within our our core group might have uh, you know played against us, but. Um, ultimately, I think Detroit was the better team and, and uh, won the cup. I don't think it should have been a four, uh, you know, four, four straight type series, but uh, we were facing, we got got stunned early in our building. Uh, we had home ice advantage and we got stunned losing the first two at home after tight battles. And next thing you know, we're behind the eight ball and, and never recovered. And you guys had the your head coach Terry Murray at the time had the famous choking you know choking line during his press conference in Game Three. Was that something that the locker room really you know lashed out about against him, or is that kind of an overblown? Yeah, thing? it was. It, I think it's it's tough to say. It's a little bit of both, but I will say because it, everybody would would perceive it differently, and, and within a room of you know twenty twenty five guys, you uh, like to me it wasn't a big thing because I, I we were in a in a choking, it probably is not something a coach would would say now, and that's something I think he's he acknowledged afterwards. But uh, our our situation was precarious, and and uh, you you need to always believe it, and belief starts from uh, top down. And uh, he was stating a fact, you know. I I think I read something afterwards where he he uh, Terry. Uh, might have said something. Oh, if I do it over again, I wouldn't. You know, probably wouldn't use those words. But we were in a tough spot, and 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 that took. Uh, we still battled hard and, and came in and and thought, you know, if we can only win one, but Detroit was that good. And then from there, you bounced around a couple more teams after Philly, and then you actually ended up with the Chicago Wolves, and you won the uh, IHL championship with them. 
Um, and then you went over to England to play. Yeah. Uh, once I was done. So what was that like? Well, it, you know what? I wanted to go to Europe. Uh, I didn't care where. And I remember telling my agent, just if you find me something uh, in Europe, I, I had an American League offers, but I thought for me and my family at that time, the best and and just get do something new. I, I didn't want to be an up and down guy with with American League team, uh, and you know, and because the bus and and <laughs> was really taking its toll but physically. Uh, the American League is a really tough league with the travel and the three and three. So I felt if I could go over and, and really you know have fun playing and and share and maybe start coaching in a way and and then also have the opportunities to, to spend quality time with my less games, less travel. You spend more time with the family. And, and my, my agent came up and, and said, Dan, there's actually a team that's looking for, for a player assistant coach. If you could go and play uh, Newcastle, I, I said, you know, I just asked him, where's Newcastle? And next thing you know, I, I was on a, on a plane and, and met with them. And uh, that's where, that's how I ended up. And talk about the AHL and travel. So, what is the worst travel story you have from the AHL? Oh, I've got a got quite a bit of them, but I, you know, I, I, I remember playing that lockout year. I was in in uh, Providence with Bruins Arm team, and, and we played three, three and uh, Steve Casper was our coach, and and we we end up playing either Binghamton. We go to Binghamton. Hershey and back through Binghamton to play Syracuse on, at one o'clock on a Sunday. So it's three and three and we're dead tired. And uh, we come in Syracuse and none of the rooms are ready. So it's, it's something like two, 3 AM and, and that's in a snowstorm. So the, it took us longer to get there. And um, we end up, we end up coming in and waiting for a room and everybody's upset. And, uh, we just show up at the rink and, and I remember him saying, I don't want to see a one tape to tape past it. If you guys make 20 icings in the first five minutes, I don't care. And we're, we got, we got a laugh, but you know, guys that no energy and, and you're just trying to, you know, go through and, and really, you know, win a game on the road on a three and three. And, and we, we ended up slowly just icing the puck, icing the puck, icing the puck. And next thing you know, they're not getting any tractions, and and we I, I believe we ended up winning the game two to one. But uh, and from there we start with no really low expectations to that game, and ended up having a really fun game to play. And but that's that's what travel was about. Like you know we we we'd go in the maritime provinces. You never knew if you could make it back with with the flights, and uh, depending on uh, snow conditions or wind conditions, if you go to uh, St. John's, Newfoundland. Uh, uh, it'd be a crapshoot. So yeah, those were fun days. You know, you, you, you get to spend a lot of time with your teammates. You, you travel together. You get to be a, a tight group. And uh, But it's also physically demanding. So then you from England, you took that uh, the coach player-coach experience. And you came back to the Quebec League. And you actually have now gone a full circle with your coaching career. You started off with uh, Moncton back in 2002. And now you're back there as the head coach now. So what are, um, when you start off the Quebec League, what are some of the things that you took from your playing career that you put into your coaching? Well, I, you know, I was, I, I was starting, when I started my coaching, I was, I was between like, uh, you know, the coaching conference, coaching clinics were, were, uh, 
we're not starting the that been around for for a bit, but uh, there are certainly uh, more emphasis on on skills development, starting skills development, uh, doing a lot of video, uh, analyzing games, and uh, you know back then in the juniors you'd have one assistant, so I was the only assistant with a, with a volunteer assistant that would jump on for home games but we did everything and i was lucky enough to have a good head coach that started me right i thought it was you know the right way to start i, I was overworked and, and i was over analyzing uh things but I, I think it really served me well for the rest of my career and you made a jump into the nhl uh for, as an assistant coach of the islanders and while you were the Islanders, a weird thing happened al arbor came back for one game to coach his 15th other game. What was that like for the staff to have him come back in the locker room? Uh, was that, and I know it was more of a publicity stunt for the Islanders wise, but was it cool for the staff or was it one of those things like, why are we doing this? Uh, you know, we have actually have games to win. Here. No, it, it was a really cool experience. Like I, I remember that experience uh, and, you know, uh, Nolan told me that that's something he, he, he had thought about. So I don't know if, if, if it's the team or if, he, but, but Ted was a lot about, uh, you know, he loved some special coaches that, that have been in the league. And he was a big fan of Fred Giro and a uh, big fan of, of Mr. Arbor. And uh, that old day was pretty magical when he, when he came. And he, he didn't want to do a big speech. And I remember him standing beside me on the bench and just said, ah, you make your changes. I don't, I don't want to be in the way. I remember him saying that, but, uh, you know, Ted wanted him to be part of it, and, and Adam uh, shares his, his experience. But he, he came back and talked to the team before the game, and, and the whole game, we played a real good game. And, uh, you know, luckily we, we won that game. I remember big picture grabbing everybody on the ice and with Mr. Arbor taking a, a team picture, and I thought that was such a classy move and, and to, a, you know, uh, such a big part of the uh, Islanders organization. And then you went down to Tampa, and you guys had really good success your first year. And then um, they made the coaching change to Cooper after, uh, I think it was your last year there. Um, and then you went up to the Rangers, and you made a really nice cup run. Um, so what was that like coming back to New York uh, and, and taking over behind the bench? That that was a great, uh, great experience. Like, like I, you know, you got to remember, like, I know we went through my, my career, but I drafted a Ranger. Uh, always a ranger in a way like to me i was that that was my team i was drafted by them and, and it was it was a real uh, full circle coming back to to, uh, to the to the rangers with a really good uh, fun staff to work with so um it was it was a dream come true that, that, that now my kids are gone uh, they're at, at university and uh, work uh, living in manhattan that i'd never done before and and with a team and you know in transition, with a new coaching staff and, and a lot of new things for us to to see and and, and live and uh, no, it was it was a real good experience, real good year, uh, and our team got better and better. If you remember, we have started I, I think one win in the first ten games, most of our games on the road because of uh, the Renault to the to the Garden. And yeah, they were doing the and I think Martin Durango about ten goals up in Anaheim. Exa- one night. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, was it Anaheim or uh, San Jose? Like I, I know we we had we had some tough tough games out west. We had training camp out west, so we were we put ourselves in a tough spot. But at Christmas, we knew we had to win something like 
seven out of uh, 10, you know, if you count those segments, almost four games out of every five games moving forward. If, uh, if we needed a chance, if we wanted a chance to make the playoffs, let alone uh, win a cup. So our focus after Christmas uh, was sharp. And I remember it, it all uh, started with a meeting we had in, uh, in, in Florida. Uh, we're playing the Panthers the next day. And, and uh, that's when, the, the, you know, the, the meeting set the tone for the rest of our season and really uh, changed uh, change that season for the better. So similar to the 94 season when they made the cup run, you guys made a really big trade at the end of the year, uh, acquiring Martin St. Louis for uh, Ryan Callahan, who was your captain. So what was that move in the locker room? Like, was it a surprise to everyone on the team that that move happened? Or was it kind of like, hey, we need the offensive punch? Um, you know, just, you know, Callahan was the name that got, you know. Got yeah, it was, it was, uh, it wasn't a uh, surprise in a way because I think, I don't I think Callahan was in a contract year and, and, you know, he was having his own uh, difficulty a little bit with the team. And I don't know if that stems from his, from the contract or anything else, but, uh, I think I think the opportunity to get a, a player of uh, Marty St. Louis uh, stature on on our team was the right fit, and not only did it give us a skill uh, boost with skills, but really uh, uh, you know leadership and confidence with our group uh, really helped solidify our our, our group and, and kind of a little bit of a glue and inside our dressing room and, and a little bit of a uh, an emotional. Uh, leader in a way too because uh, if we remember that the that playoff runs you know us trailing to pittsburgh and and, and marty uh, uh losing his mom and and continuing to and, and being really gave us a, an emotional boost on top of, of the boost of his uh, excellent play on the ice so so for us we're riding marty's wave uh, for, for a little bit there I was going to say, you guys are down 3-1 to Pittsburgh, and then unfortunately he loses his mother, and then you guys storm back, win three in a row um, to close that series out. And then you continue on to Montreal. Uh, you know, game one of Montreal, you guys knock Carey Price out. <laughs> uh, you know, so that was, you know, some ranger luck there. Yep. Um, yeah. You move through there, and then you, you get to the final. I, I would say ranger luck, but I, I went back and looked at the stats of the following games. Like, we outplayed Montreal every game. We were out shooting him, uh, you know, 30 to 20 shots. Uh, their backup that came in, they actually put their third string goalie in uh, Tokarski, and he was, he was, yeah, and I'm not sure if he wasn't first or second star a couple of those games. Like, he, he played really well. We ended up winning those games, and uh, we'll never know with, with, my, uh, uh, with Carey Price being out because he, he was sure, like, their best player. So, uh, but we were playing well. We were also playing really well. And then when you guys get to the finals, you know, just the heart-wrenching finals, three overtime losses, two in, uh, two in yeah. double OT. Um, you know, game, games one and two, you guys are out in L.A. You lose both in overtime. You have the lead in each game. You know, what What kind of – with the flight home, what was the flight back to New York? Was it a somber mode? Was it more of like a, hey, guys, we've outplayed them for most of the – you know, almost 58 of the 60 minutes of yeah. the game? You know, we were in this thing. Yeah, we 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 believe we're a group that 
and, and we had gone through enough adversity in that season and we had enough uh, leadership in that group. And we're a very mild tempered group. Like there's not a lot of in our team. Like we weren't a, like we didn't run uh, teams out of the building. We didn't over out hit team. We we're just a nice group of guys <laughs> playing hockey together. And, and uh, so nobody hated the Rangers, like the players anyway, because we didn't have that. Like we, I think we might have had Garcillo. He was he wasn't playing. He was he was scrapped. But other than that, our players that were playing the game every night were just, you know, the referees liked us, and so we were just going about our business. We we were determined. We thought we'd come back and win, and uh, you know, unfortunately, a lot of the bounces didn't go our way. Like I remember the the next season, uh, you know. I went to Montreal, but I, I remember the uh, first meeting with the referees in the league. Uh, they put a video, and, and one of the goals that that they say would be refused this year was one of the goals that was scored against us in the finals, where where uh, Lundqvist was interfered with uh, by by uh, either Toffoli or Clifford, one of the big guys, and and that goal would not count this year, but it did count that year, and and and. You know, who knows what it cost us? I, it cost us a game anyway. So now that postseason, Lundqvist was, I mean, he was huge. He was so unbelievable in that. Um, is that one of the better postseason performances you've seen out of an individual player? Ah, uh, that's tough to say because I've, you know, I, I've watched a lot of hockey. And, and if I go back to Ron Nixtall when he won it in, uh, against Edmonton, he, he won the con smite and a losing cause. I, I remember him, I remember following that, following that as a kid. I remember seeing Ken Dryden in Montreal uh, dominating in the playoffs. That, that that gives you my age a little bit, but um, uh, he certainly was was our uh, you know a rock every night, and, and uh, he, he he actually uh, carried the load when we didn't play so well, and uh, he was there when we when when we needed the the right saves at the right moment. So he had a real good season in the playoffs. I know in those game sevens, you know, both of them were two one wins, and you know he's in his head in those games. And as a fan, you sit there with your, uh, you know, you can't believe what's going on. I'm sure on the bench, it's like, oh my goodness. Yeah, well, you know, it's it such uh, managing momentums in the playoffs is such a key uh, part of it, and uh, and and some of these, like sometimes we remember, we forget how far we with some of these these key moments, whether it's. Uh, a key save or, or a key uh, a key goal, you know, just to break uh, your opponent's momentum or, or or to you know just continue with your own momentum. So uh, Henrik was was uh, was certainly a part of that. And then you alluded to before you went to Montreal after the year. Um, while you were there, they had the you know, you, you went there for Terry with Terrian, who actually was Vigneault's best friend, which is pretty funny to move on to a, a, a different coach there. Yeah. Um, but while you were there, Tarion, you guys had a good run the first year, and it just seemed like he could never get them over the hump, and they eventually moved on to Claude Julien. Um, it seemed like as soon as Julien left Boston, that was a guaranteed slam dunk hire for the Canadians. Was that something that the whole organization inside was like, okay, Tarion, you know, he might be on the way out here, or, you know, when once Julien became available, was that kind of a thought? Because I know the Montreal media really played that up. Yeah, but not for us. Like when you're coaching and, and you're part of a coaching staff, and, and uh, Mike Terry and our team was was not doing badly. You know, like our team had done pretty well. If you look at Mike's numbers, they were they were pretty good. Um, so it was surprising. 
you know, like I, I remember that that happened in the in, a, in the All Star break or Olympic break or I'm trying to remember. I know it was a break because it was February 13 or 14 when they announced it, and and I was just surprised. And uh, you know, you got it, it. It's always tough when you're on a coaching staff and, and they make a change like this. But you know, the, the, the coach coming in was a somebody I didn't know personally, got to know and got to work with, and. For me professionally, it's a great experience to have to to add to my uh, you know to the coaches that I've I've had the uh, the chance to work with and and Claude was certainly one of the best coaches in the league. And then after that year, you became the head coach of the Lithuanian yeah. national team. <laughs> well, that come about? this comes from uh, from me being I, I still had one year uh, you know with with Montreal. I was let go. Uh, two of us uh, were let go at the end of. Uh, of my fourth season there. And, uh, you know, they, they made a few changes and, and so sitting at home going, okay, what, what's going to, what's Daniel, what am I, and I want to kind of resource and, and go back, not going back to school, but really, uh, uh, look at different ways of, that I could, uh, get some growth in my, in my, uh, in my game in my coaching game. So, um, one of the ways was for, uh, Presenting a lot of uh, at clinics, and I end up presenting in with for the NHL in China and Finland, and and uh, where else did I go? Uh, they had me going to a, a few places to do uh, hockey presentations, and and at the same time, I had uh, an ex teammate of mine, uh, Dave Zubris, who's Lithuanian, and just been voted uh, um, elected as president of the Lithuanian uh, Hockey Federation and he gave me a call. He goes, Dan, if you got nothing, I, I'd love for you to come in and, and try you know, grow our program because I think they have four or five uh, ice hockey arena and I knew nothing about uh, Lithuania and besides, you know, knowing Zuby and knowing him. Uh, so I ended up I ended up saying, yes, why not? And it was a really, really good experience. And then you stayed in Europe, and you actually coached in the German League, and you took over for Leon Dreisaitl's father uh, in the Dell League. What was that uh, experience also, you know, international coaching compared to a U.S., you know, you were U.S., you know, based for forever, and then you went over and Yeah, it, it was a great experience. Like, on, on the, uh, like, for me to, to be exposed to, I, that, that year I traveled quite a bit. I did a couple tournaments with uh, Lithuania, Team Lithuania, and, uh, and then, uh, you know, I was traveling to visiting a friend of mine in Berlin who was coaching the, the Berlin Bears. And uh, and then I got a call that day when I was there and I happened to be in Germany. And, and it was, it was uh, you know, it was a team. It was Cologne that was calling and just, just inquiring about if, if I'd ever be interested. And I said, yeah, perhaps I'd be interested. But he goes, well, let me call you back. You know, I'll, we're not sure what we're going to do we feel we got a team that's underperforming. And next thing I know, I came back to the States and I'm, I'm, in, I'm in Tampa for Christmas and I get a call right at Christmas time. And, and, uh, and, and, you know, they asked me if I want to become the coach. And my wife knew, my wife was all happy. And finally I'd be in Tampa for the rest of the winter and we could spend some time together. And that, that lasted about three days. <laughs> and I was back on the plane, uh, going to Germany and the hockey there. I was surprised how, how good and, and professional thousand fans at our games uh, in Cologne. It's a beautiful arena. 
a great city. So on a personal side, it was it was a really good spot for me to be and work with good people. And, uh, you know, it, it was kind of also first chance for me, those two teams, Lithuanian teams and the, uh, and, uh, the Cologne uh, team. It was my first opportunity to really uh, coach my own team for an extended period of time. And, and that was a lot of fun to build something and, and to put all these little experiences that I've had with really good coaches and, and I have the, the opportunity to do it away from, away from North America and just learn and grow as, as a coach. So, so that was really uh, like, for me, it was, it, it was a great, great year. And now you're back to being the head coach in, uh, in Moncton. So what is uh, this year? Obviously is weird with the COVID-19 and everything. So what are some things that, you know, you guys are hearing for the league, uh, you know, continuing to play or, um, you know, what are some of the parameters you guys are working under? Uh, it, it's a challenge. Like it's a challenge, but, uh, like we, we, uh, we stopped like all the leagues last year. Like we, we had the best team in Canada. Like we, I think we, I took over in Moncton last year at the same time at Christmas time. And, and they had, uh, I think we, I believe we, we lost two, only two games and, to finish the season we have the best team in, in the country made a lot of moves so with those moves uh came giving away a lot of our young uh talented players and uh it's, it's a rebuilding year we got 14 15 rookies on our team and with covid there's no guarantee so uh one thing we did realize uh, quickly is that we're the only t- uh, league going uh on this side of the pond like you know and all the major junior leagues weren't weren't playing, so for us, we felt privileged, and we've had to uh, to be able to adapt to different things. We've been we've had a lot of games canceled, thirteen games. Uh, so so for us, it, it's like okay, let's not get uh, we, we're getting prepared for this week, and and when if things change, you need to to be able to adapt. And part that's what we've done as a coaching staff and as a an organization. Hopefully everything's is going to work out better after for the second half but i know right now the league decided to give us a, a give the players and everybody else a, a month break and we're back at work uh, i think early january where we're uh, you know, after we do our, our confinement because we got to go back and confine for a couple of weeks but after that i think it, it'll be good to go well good luck the rest of the year and uh, enjoy your break down there in tampa and uh and thank you for joining oh, us thank today. you very much thanks for having me Thank you again to Daniel Lacroix for joining us this week. It was a lot of fun sitting down and talking about his career and learning some new stories about his time with the Rangers. And we wish him and his team, the Moncton Wildcats, all the best this season. And that does it for Episode 2 of the Broadway Hat Podcast. Please hit the follow button on Spotify and follow the Broadway Hat Podcast Instagram account to be notified when new episodes come out. Thanks for listening.